That is uh, a celebration of all that was uh, this week with Vacation Bible Camp. Uh, real quick, if you served as a volunteer for either our morning session or our evening session of Vacation Bible Camp, would you stand up for a moment so we can thank you again uh, for your service to Vacation Bible Camp? Thank you, thank you, thank you. They're spread out among many services. We had about 400 volunteers serve, which gives you a sense of how many kids we had uh, here this week for Vacation Bible Camp. Uh, I want to welcome you again. My name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here, and I had one goal for this week, just one goal. One goal was to get out of this boot that I'm wearing by the end of the week so that I wouldn't have to address with you what in the world I did. Um, I tried to come up with some good stories to share I got none. I thought about telling you this is my way of trying to convince Pastor Mike I'm going to fall apart without him, you know, hoping he wouldn't leave. Um, what else did I think about telling you? I thought about telling you that there's actually nothing wrong with me. This is the AV team's way of keeping me still while I preach. I thought that might be kind of funny, but that's not true. Um, because what really happened is just so embarrassing. Uh, I, I didn't drop my iPhone and try to pick it up uh, uh, but like uh, some, some people, but what I did was I played with the men's basketball team on, on Sunday night, and, and Todd, who leads that ministry, he was complaining to me about me never giving a shout-out to the men's group who plays basketball. So there's your shout-out, Todd. I went, and now I'm in a boot. And, and it's really actually not Todd's fault. I don't know if Dave DeMarc is, is here today, but they had a three-on-three -three tournament on Sunday night, last Sunday night, and I, my, my small group finished up. We were meeting here. I went downstairs, and they said, hey, we need one more guy. We want more to play. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to play. I always get hurt when I come play with you guys. And, and I was ready to go home. I was actually wearing sandals, so I couldn't, I, could, I would have had to gone home and get my shoes. You know, that's a big trouble. And then Dave DeMarc said, what are you, chicken? So now I'm in a boot. Now I'm in a boot. I played for three minutes. Three minutes. It didn't break a sweat. It was a, it was a great moment. But I'm happy to be here with you as we continue uh, this series, God at the Movies. If you have your Bible, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, and also, if you will, find Romans chapter 8. If you didn't bring your Bible today, there's a, a blue Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. These page numbers correspond to those blue Bibles where you'll find uh, those scriptures there. I've never heard Father's Day referred to as Man Day. That's, that's interesting. Man Day. What does Man Day mean, you know? I mean, think about what is it. How would you celebrate Man Day? I mean, like, fill the altar with camouflage and hunting equipment, and I, I don't know what you do to celebrate man day. There's, you know, there's lots of different ways we might think about doing it. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? This is not a part of the sermon at all, but when, when Lauren said that, I thought, that's really interesting, man day. How would we celebrate man? I mean, if we really called this man day in the church, what would we do? How would we celebrate that? And you know, there have been, uh, this, is the, this is the thought I've had so far uh, in, in, the, uh, in the three minutes since, since Lauren said that. There's lots of ways that we could celebrate that that would just be like, what in the world are we doing? You know, I don't know. What does it mean to celebrate, celebrate men in the church? What does it mean to be, according to the scriptures, a man? What does that mean? Is it, is it all the things that we often think about? You know, the grunting and the noises and the... You know, no, it's, what, is it, what does it mean to be a, what does it mean to be a man? Well, when I think about someone who is a man, I think about a, a husband who loves his wife. 
I think about a husband who loves his wife not only in the way that he behaves with her, but the way that he talks to her, the way that he looks at her, the way that he uses his words and the way that he uses his eyes in all things when she is present and when she is absent. I think about a man who not only does that to the other women in his life, but also trains his son to do the same, uh, to train him in what it means to honor and respect and live with integrity. I think about a, a, a man who not only does that for his son, but if he is blessed with a daughter, also teaches and trains her to absolutely have that expectation of others in her life. And that has nothing to do with the message for today. But since Lauren called it Man Day, I thought it was a good thing to share with you. So there's my little mini sermon on what it means to be a man. Um, so here, this is what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about the Lego movie. Uh, we're in the second week of this series, God at the Movies, and we're talking about this movie that came out in 2014. And I know what some of you are thinking, when did we start making movies out of Legos? Like, that's a little strange, right? Some of you are thinking, well, those are some pretty cool toys. I may have played with those when I was a kid, or maybe my, 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 my kids did, but when did we start making movies out of this? Uh, Ole Kirk Christensen invented Legos in 1932. And my guess is that when he invented these little blocks that go together and you can build little things with, he never imagined that his invention would become a global enterprise, uh, one of the largest toy manufacturers in the world, and would eventually begin making movies out of those characters that you can build. This came out again in 2014. We talked about Star Wars last week. It wasn't quite as good as Star Wars in terms of the records that it set, but it, it grossed $469 million. And I'm not a movie maker, but I would assume you're pretty okay with that number, right? Like, that's pretty good. You did, you did fairly well. You made half a billion dollars on the film. And, and so just, just so you know, in case you're wondering, if you haven't, haven't seen this yet, you can check that out. But there's two sequels or there's two spinoffs coming in 2017. And then uh, they're making a sequel to the Lego movie that's uh, going to come out in, in 2018. And so a couple of weeks ago when I was getting ready for this message, this whole series, and, uh, and also some series that we have coming up this summer and into the fall, I thought, well, this would be great. I can do sermon prep this week by watching the Lego movie with my son. I mean, that's, that's great. I can kind of do two things at once, spend time with my son and also get ready for the, for the sermon. So Monday of that week, Monday night, I was thinking, okay, we're going to watch the Lego movie. And I'd already seen it before, but I wanted to review it again and kind of get ready for sharing with you. And so Monday night comes and he gets in trouble and gets his TV privileges taken away. So we had to delay that uh, for a week in order to, uh, uh, to, it's the first time that I know of that my sermon prep had been delayed because of punishment. But it happened. So when, I, when we got around to that, but a week later, we're sitting there, we're watching the Lego movie, and I've got my, my yellow legal pad, and I've got my, my pen, and I'm just writing stuff down. I, I, took, I took two pages of notes at the end of this thing, and I'm, of course, I'm trying to think about how in the world I'm going to convey to you who have never seen the movie this incredibly complicated plot that has alternative worlds and all sorts of stuff in it. Johnny preached last night and he tried to explain the plot and I thought that's why I'm not going to try to explain it. I mean it's so hard to explain. So I got to the end of the movie and this is what I wrote down. We need to pick another movie. 
I had nothing. I mean, I was just like, I don't know. I was looking for that compelling idea, that story, that illustration, that moment in the, in the movie that, that we could look at as kind of our, our thought for today. Uh, some of you know my dad is also a preacher. And as a kid, I can remember my dad saying uh, many times uh, in my childhood, when something would happen or he'd see something on TV or go into a movie, he'd say, that'll preach. So I was looking for the that'll preach moment, and I didn't have it. So I was thinking, what are we going to do? I'm going to have to pick another movie. I don't know what we're going to do. And, and so I did the only thing that in, in my multiple years of training and experience I had been taught to do, and that was I turned to my seven-year-old and I said, what did you learn from the movie? <laughs> and here's, here's a few things he said. He said, I, I learned everyone is special. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. You know, that's, I don't know. That's probably not a sermon, but that's, that's, that's a good start. Everyone is special. I'm glad you learned that from the, from the movie, son. I said, yeah, you know, is there anything else? And he said, I learned that everything is awesome. <laughs> and some of you are laughing because you know the song, the theme song of this film, Everything is Awesome, that will get stuck in your head, which is why I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, there's multiple reasons why I'm not going to sing it for you, but that's one of them. Uh, and then he said, uh, everyone is important. I thought that's that's also pretty good. We're we're doing fairly well. I thought, well, I'm gonna go back to the I'm gonna go back to the well one more time and see if he's got anything else in there. So I said, son, is there is there anything else that you learned from the Lego movie? And and this is what he said. He said, I learned that if you make something and it breaks, it's okay because you can make something new out of it. If you make something and it breaks, it's okay. Because you can make something new out of it. Now I want you just to hold that thought in in your head. As we turn now to Matthew chapter 18. I want to read to you four verses uh, there from the beginning of Matthew 18. It says this. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now just pause there just a moment. Let me ask you this question. Does that seem like an odd question to ask Jesus? I mean, you may know from reading several of the other Gospels that at this point in the story, this seemed to be something the disciples were really concerned about. Uh, for, for James and John, it was kind of an awkward moment when their, mom, uh, when, when their mom showed up and asked Jesus, hey, can my sons have like a place of honor in, in your kingdom? And they're like, oh gosh, mom, what are you doing? You know, but of course, they're wondering that. They're, all the disciples are kind of thinking about, you know, who are we going to be you know, with Jesus during this time? Who's the greatest? Can, could we submit a resume, Jesus? We, you know, we, we'd like to have a, a special... It, it, does, it seems like kind of an odd question. Well, go back with me to chapter 17. This is, this is one of the reasons I love you bringing your Bible to worship. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 22. Uh, look at what this immediately follows. Okay? When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, he's talking about himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Verse 23. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So this is the second time in Matthew's gospel that Jesus has predicted that this whole campaign to be the Messiah, this whole savior of the world thing was not going to end the way the disciples thought it was going to end. It was instead going to end in his own death. And how do they follow that up? Hey Jesus, by the way, uh, who is, uh, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now I know you've been somewhere before and you've heard someone say, There are no dumb questions. Have you ever heard that before? 
We all know that's not true, right? Like there are dumb questions. Like when you come in to a building and you are soaking wet and someone says to you, is it raining outside? That's a dumb question, right? Like we know that. There are dumb questions. But, but look at what happens after this. Verse 2, Jesus does not say, come on disciples, dumb question. This is, this is what he does. He called a little child to him. And he placed the child among them and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, therefore whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now when you hear that, maybe, maybe you immediately connect with those images that you just saw of, of all those kids who were here this week. Though They were sitting in, in these seats where you are today, jumping up and down and singing and dancing and bringing offering to, to support kids on the other side of the world. I mean, there is nothing more beautiful than the sound of our children, than the sights of their dancing as they came together for vacation Bible camp. There is no week in the life of the church more chaotic and messy than vacation Bible camp. What I've learned is if you want to get work done here during that week, just wait till the afternoon. I mean, it's like crickets around here when, when all the kids go home and the staff are sleeping. But, you know, in the morning, it's crazy, it's chaos, but it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful to hear their singing, to hear their chanting as they move across, move across the, the campus. It's a, it's a beautiful moment. It reminds us of the kingdom of God. If you turn over to chapter 19 in Matthew, look at this, uh, verse 13. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. The disciples are thinking, Jesus is busy. He doesn't have time for this. He's got other people he's got to see. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these should be familiar language you heard it already in the service uh, as we prepared to baptize griffin you hear it every time we baptize a child let the little children come to me do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these in that young life we see the kingdom of heaven God's promise, God's grace, God's love belongs to them, Jesus says. But here's what I want you to see in chapter 18. Jesus goes beyond simply saying, you should take care of children. I mean, I mean the teaching that he offers in chapter 18 is not, it, it, it's beyond, hey, you should have a vacation Bible camp. And you should take care of kids. And you should nurture kids. And you should bless kids. And you're responsible for forming and shaping them into the men and women of faith that they have been called to be. He goes beyond that. That's a good, good teaching. It's something we believe wholeheartedly. But in chapter 18, it's more than just directing our blessing. Jesus is, is saying not only should you care for them, not only should you nurture them, but you, in fact, actually have to become like them. You have to become like you used to be. You have to, in some ways, turn back the clock to recapture something that they have that perhaps you have lost 
if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask you this question. Do you remember what that used to be like? Can you remember what it was like to be a young boy or young girl of 9 or 10 years old? Do you remember what it was like on that last day of school when all that lay before you was the endless summer filled with possibilities? Do you remember what it was like to believe that the world was a magical place? And that each and every day when you woke up, each day held the possibility of another great adventure. Do you remember what it was like to delight and celebrate in times that you could share with your friends? When they could come over and play for a while. And though in the process of that sharing, there may be tears and anger. Oh my gosh, they made me so mad. Those tears in just a moment could be replaced by laughter. Do you remember what it was like to see the world as awesome, mysterious, and dangerous, but in your understanding of the dangerous nature of the world, it didn't leave you paralyzed by fear because you just had this crazy, naive sense that whatever happened, everything would be okay. Or someone would show up and make sure that everything was fine. Do you remember what it was like to be utterly dependent, absolutely vulnerable, and yet still gullibly curious about how amazing life could really be? I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, boy, that's hard. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Life has thrown you a couple curveballs since, uh, since then. I think this is why we are fascinated by kids and what kids say, you know, the, the things that, the, the observations that they make that, that we think, where in the world did that come from? A few weeks ago, we were driving out to a friend's house. Uh, they live uh, between Mansfield and, and Burleson, and so we're, tr we're driving uh, down, east, uh, down East Broad. Uh, we, we, we cross through downtown, and if you don't know, Broad, when you cross downtown, turns from East Broad to West Broad, and so we, we cross that intersection, and we, we're heading down West Broad now, and we're just, we're just a little, you know, a few blocks across, uh, across the way, and my son, my seven-year-old in the back says, Dad, are we in the country? And I thought, well, you know, for him, yeah, we're, we're in the country. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're heading to Burleson, Texas, you know. I mean, it's, this, is, this is what he thinks. And so I was like, well, yeah, I guess, you know, we're kind of we're in the country. That was my answer to him. And there's this kind of this moment of silence and pause as, you know, you knew there, there's, there, there's things churning in his head. And so this is what he said. He said, I bet they don't get very good Wi-Fi out here. 
Seven years old. That's his. Uh, that's his. Uh, that's my. That's my country boy there, or my city boy. You know. I bet they don't. Uh, he later confessed that he didn't even know what Wi-Fi was. But, but some for some reason he made the connection. But being in the country, he didn't get he didn't get very good Wi-Fi. I mean, it's it's incredible what you hear kids say. It's so funny the observations that they make. Yet I know some of us are thinking, okay, that's nice, that's nice, but but that's not what life is really like. You see, some of us, we're a little bit defensive about this because in our minds we're thinking, well, yeah, but then I learned how hard life really is. That's why some of us find it so hard to imagine what it was like in those younger years because we've, we've realized that life is harder than we thought it was going to be. We used to live with the, the idea that if anything went wrong, the only person who would have to deal with that is us. But some of us have discovered in our life that because of the mistakes that we have made, the person who has borne the most pain has not been ourselves, but someone else. And we've had to deal with that and wrestle with that. We, we've realized over the course of days and years that the pain of life is so much so much stronger than we thought he would ever be. We see things and we, and we realize life really isn't fair. And it doesn't make sense sometimes. And, and, and the answers that we thought were so easy, they're, they're much harder. They're much harder to understand. There, there's, there's a part of us that wants to push back and say, but that's not how life is is really like, and yet every once in a while we, we hear something through the lens of a child that reminds us, that causes us a moment of reflection. It, it, it helps us to recenter and to remember what it was like to, to think of the world in that way. If you make something and it breaks, it's okay. Because you can make something new out of it. Here's the idea. You have to become like you once were. To conceive of a love as extraordinary as God's love. You have to become like you once were to conceive of a love as extraordinary as God's love. From our perspective in living in a world of pain and loss and suffering, we have to in some sense recapture the imagination and mystery and amazement of childhood to even begin to fathom of a love that is as extraordinary as God's love for all of us. Only a child can see that. Only a child can remember that utter dependence leaning in to the one who would always be there for us to take care of us there's a there is a mystery to that that we must rediscover if we are really to conceive of a love as extraordinary as God's love that's the good news of the scriptures that's the good news of Jesus the good news of Jesus is that God loves you with a love that does not make sense. You can't logically understand it. You can only receive it as a child 
receives love from a loving parent. That's the good news of Jesus. Now here's what I want you to understand today. That good news does not negate the fact that some of us have made a mess of our life. It doesn't sweep it away. It doesn't say, okay, all this, all this junk that's been churned up in your life, just ignore it. Just smile. When you come to church and someone says, someone says how's it going? Just say, awesome. <laughs> Every week, don't worry about it. Just, just pretend that, that does. Here, here's part of the good news. Part of the good news is that your mess is real. It, it's real. It's real. And some of you have made a mess. You know it. You know the pain. You know the loss. You know the worry. You know the anxiety. You know the regret. You know the guilt. You know the consequences of those actions. That's all real. It's all real. Your mess is real. My mess is real. All of us without Jesus are hopeless, but it also means that your mess, though it's real, it's also not remarkable. It's not remarkable. So one of the things Mike said a few weeks ago in his, one, of, one of his sermons is he said, I have heard it all. And yet still people will come to my office or they'll come to Mike's office or they'll come to Pastor Johnny or Pastor Tina or Pastor Sharon and they'll say, oh, I got to tell you about this mess I've made in my life. You are not going to believe it. Yes, we are. <laughs> Yes, we're, it's not remarkable. Your pain, your mistake, it's not new to humanity. It is something that all of us experience. We all have mess in our life. The mess is real. It's not remarkable. It's, it's who we are as human beings. We've all been there. Yet all of us without Jesus are in fact hopeless. Now I know some of you are thinking, why? How, how, did, he, how did he know? He's been following me on Facebook. He, he, he's been talking to some of my friends. He knows what happened last week. How does he know? Here's what I want you to hear. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person sitting next to you. I mean, their life is so much more messed up than your life, okay? It's not you. And if you're the person sitting next to, you, don't, next to them, don't worry. I'm talking about them, okay? It's not you. They're really, really messed up. We're all messed up, people. Your mess is real, but it's not remarkable. It's not remarkable. If you make something and it breaks, it's, it is okay. Because we're all broken. And all of us without Jesus are hopeless. So, so do this with me. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We're going to read one verse of scripture. And this one verse of scripture is your homework for today. Your homework for today is to memorize Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Let me read it to you. We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Would you read this with me? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you brought your own Bible today, I want you to underline these three words, in all things. We know that in all things, those moments in life that you have anticipated and you have hoped for 
and you have longed to see realized in your life. That celebration that you have waited to happen. The baptism of that, of that child, their graduation, that, that moment you wanted to, to see happen, that job you've been waiting for. What, in, all, in all of those things, God is working for good. But also in all things, in that thing that you have dreaded, that you had a hope that you could avoid, that tragic circumstance that completely took your life by surprise. You never expected to have to deal with what life has just presented to you. In all things, good, bad, high, low, mountain, valley, doesn't matter. In all things, God is always, always, always working for the good. Now, real quick, we don't have a lot of time, but this is important. This verse does not mean that God is going to drag you through the mud of life so that then he can do something good in you. That's not what it means. Here's what it means. When you find yourself in the mud where we've all been, God will be there. God will be there. And in his presence there, God will, even at that lowest, darkest moment of life, God will be working for good. Comfort, love, support, wiping away the tear, offering, God will be working for good. If you make something and it breaks, it's okay because God can make something new out of it. It's what God does best. To be a person who has faith in Jesus is to be someone who has the faith to stand in the graveyard and to proclaim a word of life. Because in all things, God always works for the good. You have to become like you once were. You have to, you have to see life through the eyes of a child in order to conceive of a love that is as extraordinary as God's love for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you first for the work of your grace in our life. I know for some of us here this morning, Lord, to, to hear this message reminds us of, of a time in our life where you showed up. We remember what it was like to be, to be hit by that train and yet to experience you in so many different ways in the lives of people who showed up and sat with us and grieved with us and supported us. People who were there, Lord, at the at the end of our mistake, and they came not in a spirit of judgment, but in a spirit of simply seeking to give us support and to help us deal with whatever consequences that we were having to face. And maybe for some, Lord, that's, that's what is so needed right now, an understanding that you are there and that you have not abandoned them and that 
their mess, though it is real and the pain is real, it's, it's not remarkable. You can do, even there, you can do amazing things. Give us the faith, Lord, to proclaim life in the midst of death, to proclaim hope in the midst of suffering, to proclaim faith and trust in you in circumstances that are not going our way. Thank you, Jesus, for being there with us and making something beautiful out of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.